0: You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues Podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues Podcast with your hosts, Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains. DLTs and cryptocurrencies. So, for today's episode, we thought that we are pretty much in early 2023 and uh, we are coming off of a pretty eventful 2022 for the crypto and blockchain space as a whole, both in good ways as well as bad ways. Uh, So, we thought it would be a good idea to kind of discuss some of the main uh, developments and happenings uh, in the crypto space over the past year, uh, where we currently stand with it, and Uh, What are some of the things that we can look forward to for the rest of 2023 or even after that? So, uh, I guess there's many different things to talk about. Uh, I mean, a lot happened in 2022. You know, we were coming off of uh, this DeFi and NFT craze, uh, riding on a lot of hype from mainstream industries, especially uh, the entertainment industry. Uh, But as has happened in the past with crypto, the hype finally died out, uh, a lot of people who jumped into the space to make a quick buck, uh, not really knowing what they were getting into, uh, they eventually lost a lot of money. Uh, I mean, there were multiple hacks, multiple rug pulls that happened in DeFi protocols. Uh, several stable coins became unstable, uh, or to be more specific, uh, lost their peg with the dollar. So, uh, I would say plenty of reality checks that happened for the industry, to put it mildly. Uh, But keeping the negative stuff aside, uh, I guess it's also kind of important to look at what actual developments happened in the crypto space, you know, from the development standpoint. So uh, with that in mind, uh, let's start off today's discussion by looking at Ethereum. You know, one of the really big developments for Ethereum that happened around the mid of 2022 was the transition to a proof of stake system uh, or the Ethereum merge as it was popularly referred to. Uh, In fact, we did a whole episode here on blockchain dialogues explaining the merge. So, uh, if you're interested, uh, please check out episode forty-five, where we discussed uh, what the merge was, what changes it brought with it, and uh, how it affected the Ethereum ecosystem as a whole. And apart from that, I guess it's also worth discussing about this paper that Vitalik and two others uh, wrote about the decentralized society, right? So, uh, Nikhil, would you like to speak about uh, Ethereum's merge? a quick recap of what it means and maybe uh, we can also go into the decentralised society concept introduced by Vitalik after that
1: sure uh, yeah that that makes uh, sense so uh, to looking in looking at ethereum it's been kind of a big year for ethereum uh, last year even though it may seem that from its price it doesn't seem to have uh, been the case but uh, uh, from the uh, development perspective and uh, the roadmap perspective uh, yes, last year, uh, the Ethereum merge finally got uh, completed. So uh, if you remember, uh, that it was initial, the, the uh, Beacon chain was started in 2021, and uh, it was projected to uh, uh, become the main chain, and uh, Ethereum is supposed to move into a new uh, proof-of-stake uh, paradigm. Uh, and uh, that happened very smoothly on September 15th. Uh, of 2022, uh, and that that from that particular point onwards, uh, Ethereum basically transitioned from a proof of work uh, consensus uh, blockchain to a proof of stake consensus blockchain. On the face of it, from uh, an external user or a consumer of Ethereum's perspective, uh, not much has changed. Uh, the Ethereum gas fees, for example, there's no big change there the speed at which ethereum uh, does its transactions and uh, uh, finalizes blocks is still uh, pretty much similar to what yeah it i think was i think that was one of the key
0: clarifications that uh, a lot of people had to give while the merge was happening that yeah. uh, you know uh, the transition to proof of, proof of stake doesn't mean magically f- uh, fast uh, transactions and cheaper transactions
1: exactly. right right yeah so so this is basically so uh, one what might uh, you know a question. Okay, so what actually happened, right? Well, what 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 was all the big deal about? And uh, the most visible change over there is that uh, is in terms of the energy consumption. So uh, Ethereum, the Ethereum networks' energy consumption dropped by ninety nine point five percent. So to put this in perspective, before uh, the March September fifteenth. Ethereum was the second largest proof of work blockchain after Bitcoin, and uh, therefore uh, it had a huge amount of energy consumed or uh, energy spent uh, doing the proof of work process uh, and and solving the proof of work puzzles. And all of that went away, right? And uh, now basically argue them, I and I've seen charts where they say the Ethereum network's power consumption is less than PayPal's power consumption, which I mean, I'm not really sure about what what metrics that they use for that, but uh, I mean, plausible. Uh, the other big thing over here, so, is the uh, movement in terms of, you know setting the stage. So with proof of stake, basically a lot of technical changes also were delivered and it kind of sets the stage for the actual upgrades that were thought that were, were lined up to improve the scaling. Right. So uh, like you correctly pointed out, you know, the biggest clarification or biggest confusion people had was that, OK, you know, suddenly Ethereum is going to scale. Well, it it's not Going to scale right. It doesn't scale right now to a greater extent, but it will definitely go for moving forward, right? Because, right, like this was like a
0: precursor to the steps that are needed. So
1: it is, it's it's essentially this is kind of like the necessary uh, steps to make it ready to do sharding, to do optimistic rollups, to do all the other kind of uh, exciting research things that uh, have been in the pipeline for so long and uh, actually implement them uh, in a feasible manner. Uh, this is this is basically uh, why proof-of-stake was such a big deal. The other thing, obviously, you talked about, uh, you touched uh, uh, on was the decentralized society thing. I'll be honest, I, I wasn't uh, really <laughs> aware of that until recently. Uh, but uh, it uh, talks about, uh, it's actually a paper that was released by... Uh, Uh, Vitalik, along with one Pooja Olhava and uh, Glenn Weil, Uh, and basically the idea uh, over here essentially is that uh, they are looking at some of the challenges that are faced by apps or applications or systems that have been deployed on Ethereum, right? So let's look at some of those, right? So let's, if you look at NFTs, for example. NFTs were a big thing in the initial parts of 2022. And uh, if you look at how the NFT was rolled out, the NFT uh, phenomenon was rolled out, uh, the biggest platform is OpenSea, right? And if you look at OpenSea, OpenSea is not exactly a, a Web3 platform. It's a uh, web two front end or, or a centralized front end on top of Ethereum or, uh, or, and platforms like Ethereum, uh, right. for, for, for been... managing
0: NFTs right i was going to say that that's always been sort of the uh, paradox with
1: crypto exactly right so it's, it's same thing with daos right so if you go beyond uh, coin voting or simple coin voting it's it's kind of okay uh, how do you actually uh, validate uh, that people are voting correctly and sybil uh, attacks are not possible even even if it take something as simple as uh, wallets right uh, most of the wallets in the world uh, currently would be uh, managed by centralized entities uh, coinbase Binance, uh, uh, the erstwhile ftx for example all of all of them had their wallet systems and right. uh, they're not the if you look at decentralized systems uh, it's not very friendly it's not very easy to use a uh, you know a pure off chain key uh, uh, and it's it's uh, it's not very user friendly right so these all kind of uh, Laid are the premises that uh, are the things that the paper wants to kind of tackle and uh, the the decentralized society idea uh, essentially is that uh, you know uh, The fundamental reason these things are Centralized is that the web 3 world does not have a strong concept of social identity, right? So the uh, there is no uh, way for uh, you know people to basically trust anything that happens, and that is the next big barrier that needs to be tackled, right? And so I'll, I'll keep it short uh, uh, since we're kind of like going overview, but uh, these use cases and the potential ecosystem that can be. Opened up if uh, if we had had a native Web three social identity mechanism, is what is kind of referred to as a decentralized society. And uh, the main primitive around uh, decentralized society is this concept of a non-transferable uh, quote unquote soul bound token, right, which uh, represents. You know, commitments, credentials, affiliations, reputation, etc. So this is basically a token that you don't want to move around. It's basically a representation, like a resume or a or your financial credentials, for example. Right. Right. So that that is essentially uh, the two large concepts around which this paper is uh, delving. Uh, it's a uh, it's a pretty interesting paper. It's not very technical. Uh, I would encourage listeners to give it a read and kind of get an idea of, okay, the way Vitalik and his peer group are thinking about the next challenges for Web3.
0: Right. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, we can, there's probably enough content to actually have a whole episode on some of these concepts about decentralized society. So Absolutely. So we'll just keep it short for this episode. And, uh, you know, let's, let's move on to the next Thing which which might be of interest to some of our listeners, which is how uh, crypto and blockchain got uh, adopted in some of the specific industries like gaming. Uh, I guess uh, gaming would be a good one to kind of look at a bit more closely. Uh, In fact, we did a detailed episode as well on gaming with uh, the CEO of Moonstream, uh, Neeraj Kashyap, where we discussed uh, where the blockchain gaming industry stands, what are some of the tools being built. And uh, what are some of the possibilities for the industry moving forward? So uh, we would urge you to check out uh, episode 44, where we discuss some of these things in uh, in good detail uh, with uh, Neeraj. But uh, to quickly give our take on where blockchain gaming as an industry stands today, uh, I would say that it's still in very, very early stages, uh, because one of the key downfalls of blockchain games so far uh, has been that, you know, given the very nature of cryptocurrencies, Uh, You know, it being a speculative asset class where people are looking to make the most amount of money as quickly as possible. Most of the games that got built in this space uh, were uh, were on a play-to-earn model. And uh, what we quickly realized is that if you really want more people to play your games, uh, it has to come with the greater experience of gaming. You know, the reasons why people actually enjoy playing games versus playing just for the sake of earning crypto, right? Uh, and most traditional gamers would not go near these games, you know, if if, if, if their only value addition to the space was a model to earn money, right? Uh, and so for the industry as a whole, uh, I guess we are in a phase where tooling solutions are still being built for game developers. So for example, uh, Neeraj Kashyap's company, Moonstream itself is looking to provide an easy way for traditional uh, game developers to incorporate on-chain game mechanics within their games. Uh, and obviously, there's chains like uh, Kronos, whose SDK would allow for the integration of gaming platforms uh, with the Kronos EVM chain. Uh, so uh, there's, there's stuff happening in, in, in the regard of uh, tooling. To, to kind of summarize it in one line, I think it's, it's still very early days for blockchain gaming. There is still interest in the space from some major companies, I would say. So for example, Ubisoft uh, is partnering with several game developer companies. Square Enix, which is the maker of the popular game Final Fantasy. uh, Also announced uh, Symbiogenesis, which is an NFT-driven web-based game. This should likely launch on Ethereum sometime in maybe mid of 2023. So, looking forward, we can probably expect to see some big-budget games come out in the market uh, over the next couple of years. But, uh, like I said, this growth is going to be slow and uh, we are still in somewhat early
1: phases. Uh, Nikhil, is there anything you want to add? as you very correctly pointed out right uh, it's still early stages and uh, typically i mean the big game companies like ubisoft and uh, uh, enix and uh, the final fantasy folks uh, they're typically conservative right because your typical uh, large game is a multi-year effort uh, involving hundreds of developers and uh, even more graphics artists and, uh, story te- designers and, uh, economists and what have you, right? So there's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty big thing to move uh, a AAA game or create a AAA game uh, around what is a fairly recent concept, right? So it's, uh, in my mind, basically, I think, uh, the point that you raised around pay to earn type games, uh, you'll notice that most of them are also indie games games that are kind of easily built with uh, uh, you know not the best graphics maybe or maybe they're mobile focused uh, the big triple developers are still in my mind kind of still in the build phase of this of this uh, process and uh, exploration and build uh, uh, and they uh, in 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 terms of uh, how they're going to leverage uh, web3 technology and and blockchains for for uh, moving forward uh, not to mention uh, 2022 there was also uh, a good deal of uh, angst and uh, uh, you know uh, criticism around uh, by gamers for uh, the whole you know crypto uh, bros uh, wading into the gaming space right <laughs> so All right uh, yeah so that that also plays a factor uh, when it comes to like you know uh, conservative games trying to uh, see actually what is the value and uh, you know actually leverage the blockchains properly very true so uh, moving
0: on uh, i guess let's let's now take a look at the whole space of nfts and metaverse so of course like most things in crypto when uh, nfts first made it to the market uh, it started off with a bang uh, i would say after defi uh, nft was that next big catalyst that got the general masses uh, involved in the crypto space and a lot more people in the world came to know of blockchain and cryptocurrencies through nfts so uh, when the nft hype was at its peak we had these obscure digital images of everything from an ape to a piece of rock being sold in the open market uh, for several thousands or even millions of dollars right Uh, and uh, with the announcement of metaverses these virtual ecosystems where you could have real and provable ownership of digital assets there was a lot of excitement around how nfts could really accelerate the creation and adoption of vr games and uh, even other metaverses that would be built either on centralized platforms or decentralized uh, I mean, one of the key market drivers was the uh, name-changing of Facebook to Meta back in 2021 to give a clear signal as to what it envisions as the whole concept of social media and social interaction in the future, right? But as development started off, the market quickly realized that creating a viable social platform in the metaverse, where people would actually spend their time and money Uh, is a lot easier said than done
1: i think they spent more more money uh, marketing the uh, uh, nft uh, which is essentially a very fancy technical term right non-fungible token and uh, marketing that and getting people educated about that (laughs) itself i think was a big big push i don't know if uh, if they if they actually had thought about okay now once everybody comes over there (laughs) then what (laughs)
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, like, to to that point, you know, like when Facebook actually, uh, sometime last year, uh, it released its uh, beta version of its metaverse. Uh, I think it's called Horizon Worlds. Yes. Uh, and uh, we saw that it was a significantly substandard product, <laughs> even from standards of some of the early VR immersive games, you know, from a decade back. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, like even a giant like Facebook uh, is going to have challenges, you know, building a viable product where people would actually, you know, interact in in the virtual space, right? Yeah. And then like because of COVID, since the world was in lockdown for over a year, the whole concept of metaverses for corporates uh, had also started to uh, draw some interest. Uh, You know, these these virtual spaces where your employees working from home could uh, hang out in a virtual conference room or buy a virtual water cooler. But even there, while we do have a handful of companies that are looking to build metaverses for corporates, we are yet to see a real viable product or, or even some kind of market validation, you know, that there is a dire need for this product to be there as a part of the office workplace, you
1: know, going into the future. So Yeah, and a lot of it is also, uh, I mean, I don't think uh, CEOs were fully sold on the whole work from home idea, right? I right. mean, you could, you can, you can already see it, uh, in, in, uh, in the eagerness with which people were, our companies were, uh, going back on their, you know, you can work from anywhere promises as soon as, uh, some viable, uh, or some kind of, uh, let's say not even, uh, <laughs> cure, but at least a pause in the <laughs> increase of infections happened, right? Uh, so it's, uh, I think a bar, part of it is also more than uh, just the technology. Uh, it's also kind of like, okay, uh, are people ready to use it the way it is supposed exactly.
0: to be used? I mean, exactly. To that point, you know, like beyond the initial hype, right? Like if you, if you actually look at the number of people who have active profiles on some of these platforms, that really hasn't grown much, you know, in, in 2022 you know so uh, like uh, initially there were the, the, there was a hype around these concepts but like you mentioned you know once you actually start using these platforms you see that okay it's it's not really adding that much value to the way or you know to, to the company's uh, top line or bottom line it, it's not really making a significant difference you know in terms of productivity or at least at least in the in in the in the version that it, it exists today to to put it in a nutshell uh, you know i think a lot remains to be proven yet both from a market standpoint as well as the viability of the tech to build such platforms so uh, i guess moving on let's talk about some of the uh, bad stuff that has happened in crypto this past year uh, i mean uh, we won't go into the details of each of the hacks and rug pulls or crashes that happened because uh, there were too too many and honestly at this point it's kind of old news however uh, to kind of give a glimpse of the stuff that went wrong uh, first i would mention some of the stable coins that lost their dollar peg There was the uh, Terra Luna crash that happened, you know, and then very similar to that, there was this neutrino crash that happened for the Waves ecosystem, Uh, and uh, several cross-chain bridges as well got hacked, you know, during this period, and billions of dollars of funds were stolen through these hacks. Uh, The most prominent one being the Ronin bridge hack, which was a bridge supporting the game Axie Infinity. And then, like, to kind of uh, close the year, <laughs> uh, one of the big news was the crash of FTX, right? Which which will probably go down as one of the biggest events that brought down the sentiment for crypto industry as a whole this past year. Nikhil, do you, do you want to touch on, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, just to kind of, uh, the thing is that uh, FTX was actually the tail end of a uh, larger collapse, right? So you had three arrows capital uh, collapsing, which actually kind of led to uh, a lot of the... Uh, circumstances right uh, Right. for the FTX thing I mean not to say that the FTX thing would not have happened anyway Uh, I I think it would have but uh, it definitely accelerated it it's kind of a reflection I think of the reality of uh, building uh, very highly speculative instruments on uh, unregulated markets and new technologies Uh, in a global way uh, without much uh, uh, regulatory uh, guidance or even regulatory. (laughs) It it, it was pretty much a Wild West, right? So it it was inevitable, I think. But uh, hopefully, I I mean, I keep saying this every time, uh, regulations would uh, would, uh, come up and uh, we would have some kind of clarity from uh, the regulatory bodies and uh, some kind of oversight to kind of at least uh, make this a little bit more uh, sane, let's say.
0: Even, even outside regulations, you know, I would just add that, uh, you know, after all of these uh, events, the various hacks and crashes, uh, I think one change that uh, we have seen and that we are going to see more of is the fact that security is kind of going to become front and center for evaluating a lot of the crypto projects going forward. Uh, I mean, uh, everything from the ICO boom to the NFT craze, we saw ridiculous amounts of money being thrown into crypto projects almost recklessly, you know, both from VCs as well as retail investors. Uh, Mm -hmm. And a lot of this was done with very little thought given to the security aspect uh, in these different blockchain projects. Security was considered almost as an auxiliary feature, you know, that people assume... Well, I'd
1: I'd like to add a nuance there, right? So, I mean, I I would... Argue whether security was considered as a as an afterthought per se, but maybe not the topmost or the most cautious way of uh, deploying. Uh, there's always the pressure to deploy. Uh, but uh, I mean, arguably, uh, as a software engineer in a non crypto <laughs> company, I can say that okay, there is a lot of places where security is not, uh, at least in software, where security is not top of mind, right? So I wouldn't actually place all the blame on that uh, alone. And uh, uh, the one thing you also need to consider is it's a fast-moving technology, right? Uh, Ethereum is right. changing. Uh, I mean, things are not standing still. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is always going to be uh, a challenge. I think one thing that might have uh, contributed here would be, at least if you think about insecurity, maybe thumbs up, this would would, uh, would be... Improved uh, moving forward, hopefully, is that uh, people used to think that okay, um, I built something, I got it audited, and now I've deployed it, and uh, that one audit is enough, right? Which is not uh, patently not the case, right? Every change that you make, in fact, not even you, if every ch- any change to any of the libraries that you 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 use, or even the underlying blockchains uh, that you're dependent on, right? Any change in any of them basically would require uh, secure, proper security uh, checks, and right. uh, yeah. So, so it's not. I mean, I think one of the things that uh, we must consider is that hey, uh, you can't treat this like a regular startup platform, uh, and uh, you have to continuously invest in uh, quote-unquote non-sexy things like uh, security audits and. Uh, making sure that uh, on in a, on an ongoing basis, your code and your systems are properly uh, working and properly secured.
0: Absolutely, I, I totally agree with you on on everything that you have said. You know, just to clarify. You know, I, I was kind of looking at this more from the perspective of uh, VCs and people who are flocking into the crypto space, ready to throw their money into the next big uh, project. Yeah, you know, yeah. So I,
1: I, I, I think I think that's also say They they usually throw their money and then turn around and say, "Okay, I want something now," which is, I think, where the where the problem is. To to that point, I think you know, like going forward, uh, the DYOR, or you know, do
0: your own research. That is going to be a lot more prominent among. I mean, it it, it was all already a pretty standard practice for serious people, you know, who were looking at crypto and blockchain from many perspective, from a technology or investment perspective. But I think, you know, after all all of these uh, you know different hacks, I think there would be a, a greater push to you know sort of uh, look at projects from a security standpoint.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: So uh, I, I would say the last thing that I think and probably one of the most important aspects uh, that that we should talk about is. Uh, the layer two solutions and some of the other scaling solutions yeah Uh, so you know there's always been a debate between what's the best model for blockchain as an ecosystem you know whether we should have different chains for different applications and these chains should communicate with each other or if there should be a a monolithic layer one chain you know like ethereum where several dApps are being built on the same chain so uh, both approaches come with their own pros and cons an ecosystem of app specific chains brings more transactions on different chains Uh, So not one single chain would get jammed with all the transactions, uh, like in a monolithic approach. But uh, on the downside, this makes the ecosystem far less secure for each of the blockchains versus for one single monolithic chain, right? So uh, the popular opinion still seems to be that uh, monolithic chains like Ethereum combined with uh, a layer 2 solution built on top would be the best approach to move forward. Uh, So in in that regard, there are several layer 2 solutions that are still under development. For example, Polygon, which is one of the uh, main layer-2 protocols for Ethereum, has been testing uh, zero-knowledge rollups and uh, soon they will integrate it on their mainnet. So, uh, Nikhil, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh,
1: Sure. I mean, uh, so like you said, layer-2 solutions are definitely a thing. Uh, One of the main ways in which uh, uh, layer-2 solutions kind of help is that they help scale your uh, blockchain, right? So, like we said uh, in the at the top of the episode uh, even after moving from PO, from PO proof of work to proof of stake ethereum is still not that fast right so you still probably want to do uh, your development or build your app on top of a layer 2 solution and polygon is a is one of those solutions it's, it's interesting I, I think is that uh, from, from when you step back and look at it from a Uh, macro perspective right it's almost as if that the layer two chains are kind of like experiments that are being done uh, uh, where they actually try out uh, the new technologies right it's it's a very kind of nice way to kind of experiment and uh, see okay is this particular uh, research idea viable Uh, and and is it something that can be then uh, pulled in into the lower levels as it becomes more mature so uh, in in the on that uh, count uh, polygon is basically looking at zero knowledge uh, rollups which uh, at a very high level basically uh, uses zero knowledge proofs to kind of consolidate a bunch of transactions and, uh, and and kind of put that one consolidated transaction on the main chain instead of uh, you know doing a faithful one to one representation of whatever happens on the layer 2 chain in the main chain so uh, this is basically powerful because uh, of the zero knowledge part which allows it to kind of compress that information in a in a manner that uh, still uh, retains the uh, proof part of it so you can prove that okay the transactions within were added and uh, not removed, for example, or censored, for example, all of those kind of things, right? So uh, that's uh, basically, I think, one of the main things that Polygon is working on. Uh, uh, and uh, I mean, there is uh, other stuff also happening uh, in terms of uh, layer one players. Uh, there are new blockchains coming up. Uh, DM, for example, which was a blockchain that uh, uh, originally came out of uh, Facebook and got shut down, um, some of their uh, team has basically come out with a new set of, a couple of new uh, layer one protocols as well, which is going to be interesting. I don't have too many details, unfortunately, but uh, they call Aptos and uh, SUI, uh, S-U-I. And then there's uh, another big one, which is uh, Avalanche, uh, which is looking at novel leaderless consensus protocols. Uh, and uh, be using uh, uh, DAGs as well to organize transactions, uh, which is uh, yet another interesting player that is coming up. Uh, and just to say, kind of like if you want to look at twenty twenty three, the way I see it, uh, it's it's kind of like uh, from the uh, external perspective, uh, this is yet another winter, right? So just like the right. uh, famous AI winters, this is a crypto winter right now uh uh at least from the perspective of you know the average investor or the average crypto bro who's trying to make money uh probably the opportunities are less but uh, uh from a developer perspective uh there's a lot of exciting things happening uh ethereum is poised to uh, uh do a bunch of uh, radically innovative things uh there are people who are looking at uh some of the Uh, challenges uh, uh, like, uh, you know, the uh, uh, soul tokens idea. And uh, there's also, you know, a bunch of interest in stuff that uh, around proof of stake, right? So one of the things I think uh, we've uh, kind of realized after 2022 is that uh, proof of stake is growing stronger. Uh, We've got uh, pretty a uh, large number of, uh, uh big chains now, <laughs> all, all using proof of stake. And so, uh, when you think about that from a perspective of a miner, now you're no longer quote unquote mining, but now you're basically validating and staking, right? Uh, right. so obviously, uh, just like uh, mining drove a bunch of innovation around, uh, Uh, you know, hardware and ASICs and uh, uh, GPU architectures and stuff like that, I'm pretty sure proof of stake and staking is going to drive uh, innovations, not necessarily in the hardware space, because it's obviously not so energy intensive, uh, but uh, maybe in the organizational space, uh, uh, because obviously, when you're talking about staking, you're talking about putting assets in places. Uh, Maybe there will be innovations around um, how to actually smoothly move your asset from one place to another, for example, uh, or even use your asset in multiple uh, stakings, uh, for example. Uh, I'm I'm sure there's going to be uh, some exciting stuff around that as well.
0: Right. One last question before we conclude. You know, last year, beginning of 2022, I would say Web3 as a concept was sort of the new buzzword for the year. Do you have any bets on uh, what it'll be for 2023? Like, do you think it'll be DAOs or decentralized society
1: or (laughs) something else? Uh, I mean, uh, Vitalik is a pretty good brand name. So, uh, I'm pretty sure Soulbound Tokens is going to become uh, buzzworthy uh, relatively at some point. Uh, But uh, as to the Web3 point, it's actually interesting. I'm finding uh, that uh, Web three as a concept is uh, kind of moving a little bit more into mainstream. At least the technology is part of it. Uh, I, I I think uh, IPFS, for example, is making inroads into you know regular compute. Uh, IPFS, in fact, as a brand, also is kind of like uh, trying to make it clear that it is not strictly a blockchain, which is true. And it's not, uh, it's kind of removing that association with crypto and kind of trying to educate people that, yeah, it's a, it's a protocol. It's another way of doing things and kind of, uh, see whether there is any, uh, uptake on that. Uh, there's, uh, another interesting thing, which obviously is the, uh, everybody probably knows is the, uh, uh, the challenges around twitter right <laughs> right <laughs> so uh, which is your classic centralized social network and uh, uh, because of its uh, quote unquote implosion uh, there's a bunch of interest now in uh, what are known as uh, federated platforms like mastodon and other platforms like that and uh, i'm pretty sure that uh, some of that interest is also going to translate into Uh, Web3 and decentralized uh, paradigms. Uh, It's just, um, you know, we'll have to see whether that's uh, built on the backs of a blockchain per se, or it's going to be more of a a decentralized uh, or a distributed architecture. Uh, Mastodon itself is actually kind of an interesting uh, example of this. Uh, uh, It's not truly a blockchain. There's no incentives or anything. But uh, if you look at it, it's a bunch of uh, different nodes run by different groups of people and they can talk to each other, right? Which is, if you uh, look at it with the right lens, looks like a blockchain network.
0: All right, folks, that concludes our podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play and Spotify. Also, you can learn more about us at bcdialogs.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.